Good morning, everyone. It's so, it's so good to worship together and to just look to all that God has done over the years and trust that you've been encouraged even this morning as we've uh, considered and reflected something of on, upon God's salvation this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 to 5. That will be our focus this morning. So as you would remember from last week, we are celebrating God's faithfulness at Honeyridge. And God's faithfulness to Honeyridge, as Clinton mentioned last week. And he pointed out that there are three pillars that uphold God's faithfulness. His word, the gospel, and the church. Or perhaps we could say it this way. There are three pillars that really put on display for us God's faithfulness. Uh, his word which he inspires and inscripturated for our benefit. A- and the gospel which he causes to bear fruit and increase as it has done here in this church. And also his church which he grows and builds up. And so last week we considered the God's faithfulness and we celebrated his word. Now this morning we're going to focus on his work of salvation in our lives and, and again draw our attention to, to this old, old story as that hymn says uh, and reflect upon uh, this good news that God has, has given us and what he has worked in our midst. And so with that in mind, let's read our passage together and then we'll pray again. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if indeed you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Only so far in the reading of God's word may reform our lives to its truth. Uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, as we come to reflect again upon that old, old story of Jesus and his love, of his redemption of his life given for us, we pray that we might not think that this is something that we know, something that we've heard before and just are unmoved by it. Rather, we pray that we would come again this morning with great excitement, with great joy as we think upon and reflect upon all that Christ has done and all that you have done, Father, through him for us and our salvation. We pray that you would make our hearts tender this morning to receive the word with faith and obedience. And dear Lord, that you would unite our hearts again to fear you and to rejoice in all that you have done so that as we rejoice, we would sing. Sing to the nations, sing to those around us that there is a God who saves sinners. And so we pray to you, Lord, help us this morning. Lead and guide us through your word. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. I'm sure you would agree with this statement. 
if you value your life, there are certain things you dare not forget. If you value the, the well-being of your life, there are certain things you better remember. If you're a professional, a medical doctor, there are certain things that you better remember for the sake of others, right? If you are a mechanic, there are certain things you need to remember as you serve others and, and earn a living. Perhaps no one understands this better than husbands. If you value your life, there are certain things you do not forget. If you forget your anniversary, you're going to hear those frightful words. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. You know where that leads. See, if we value our lives, there are certain things we dare not forget. And beloved, I would suggest to you that that principle is true, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. If we value our spiritual life, if we value our spiritual well-being, then there are certain things we dare not forget. There are certain things we better remember. Think of the prophet Jeremiah. When, when his soul was bereft of peace, when he was burdened by affliction and despair, what did he do? In Lamentations 3.21, we, we are told what he did. He says, but this I call to mind, this I remember, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's what we're celebrating this month, aren't we? See, if we value our spiritual life, our well-being as Christians, then there are certain things we better not forget. Think also of David, who speaks to his own soul, who exhorts his own soul to remember God. In Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not his benefits. And so not only is our spiritual well-being dependent upon us remembering certain things, but our blessing God and praising him and thanking him also requires us to not forget our God, but to remember him and all his benefits. Beloved church, may I suggest to you that for the sake of our spiritual well-being, for our joy, for our hope, there are certain things we dare not forget. May I also suggest to you that for the sake of us thanking God and blessing His name and celebrating His faithfulness, there are certain things we dare not forget. There are certain things we need to remember. And beloved, at the top of the list is the gospel. At the top of the list is the good news that Jesus Christ is the Savior of sinners. We need to realize that the gospel is something we dare not forget. It's something we dare not treat as if it's unimportant, as if it's old news. Isn't that, isn't that Paul's point in our passage this morning? Isn't that, Paul, isn't that Paul's concern in verse 1 where he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, 
I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. See, Paul writes to remind them and us that the gospel is not something to forget. It's not something to move beyond. It's not something that we outgrow as Christians. No, no, the opposite, actually. The gospel is something that, that grows and bears fruit and increases in the Christian. But, but you see, the very fact that Paul has to tell us, remember, brothers, the gospel calls, tells us, doesn't it, that, that there's a tendency in us to forget the gospel. That there's a tendency in us to neglect all that Christ has done and to seemingly want to move away from it. Again, that old hymn spoke about this. Uh, tell me the old, old story. It says, tell me the, the story slowly that I may take it in. That wonderful redemption. God's remedy for sin. Tell me that story often, for I forget it so soon. See, there is a tendency to want to forget the gospel and move beyond the gospel. And this is something we, we see particularly in, in the Corinthian church. Now, as you might know, the, the Corinthian church is what we would call a problem church. This is a church that struggled with division. They, they struggled with sexual sin and, and spiritual pride. And see, what Paul often does in this letter when addressing these challenges, these problems, is he draws their attention back to the gospel. Let me give you one example very quickly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11 to 13, we see that there is division in the church. There we read, Paul says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. My brothers, uh, what, uh, there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or the super saints, I follow Jesus. Is Christ divided, he asked? Now look how Paul responds to them in verse 13. Look how he appeals to the gospel. He says, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? See, what Paul is basically asking them is this. Um, guys, which gospel message did you believe? Which gospel message did you identify with in your baptism? The good news about Paul or the good news about Jesus? Do you see what he's doing? He's, he's drawing their attention back to the gospel because they've forgotten the gospel. They failed to live in light of the gospel. And again and again, when addressing these problems in the Corinthian church, Paul draws their attention back to the gospel. And this is even true in our chapter. This is the longest exposition of the resurrection in the Bible. And Paul ex explains and defends the resurrection because there were Corinthians who were denying the resurrection. And so Paul addresses the problem how? By again pointing them to the gospel. Again, that's why Paul in this passage exhorts us to, to be reminded of the gospel because there is this tendency in us, this perennial problem of, of wanting to forget it, of wanting to think that we know that stuff. Let's, let's move on and mature to something else. And Paul says no. See, Paul's central exhortation in this passage is simply this, remember the gospel. And that's appropriate, I believe, for us today as we celebrate the gospel. If we want to rejoice in the gospel, if we want to celebrate God's salvation, 
we dare not forget its benefits. And so as we look at our passage this morning, uh, I believe it offers us three exhortations this morning that should lead us to greater worship, greater praise uh, for all that God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but what I want to do is I want to look at the end of our passage, verse 5, and move our way forward. And so the first exhortation I think this passage gives us is this, remember the promise of the gospel. Remember the promise of the gospel. In the second part of verse 3 to the end of verse 5, Paul gives us a helpful summary of the gospel. He explains that the good news is the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third, third day, and again He says, in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that is the Apostle Peter, and then to the Twelve. Now let me ask you the question, have you ever wondered how you could simply and quickly explain the gospel? Perhaps you only have a minute and a half in an elevator and you want to share the gospel. How do you do it? Well, Paul, your helps us. He, he gives us a neat summary. He, he gives us a, 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 a small taste of, of what the essentials of the gospel are. In fact, many believe Paul here is citing an early creed that is crystallizing the, the content of the gospel. See, the gospel is all about the fact that on the one hand, Christ Jesus died for our sins. And how do we know he died? Well, he says, because he was buried. You typically don't bury someone who's alive. But not just that, the gospel is, about the, is also about the fact that on the other hand, not only did Christ die for our sins, he was raised from the grave. And how do we know he was raised? Well, he appeared to the apostles. See, Paul is essentially saying two things about the gospel in this passage. Namely, that the gospel is the good news of Christ's death for our sin and His resurrection. See, this is the, the marrow of the gospel, as Spurgeon put it. This is the essential core of the gospel message. This is the sum and substance of what the gospel is. The death and resurrection of Christ. And beloved, if you remove any of those, if you remove his death for our sin, if you remove the empty tomb, then quite frankly, you no longer have the gospel. And now the question you could be asking, perhaps should be asking in this, why is the death of Jesus and his resurrection good news? Why is a message of death and resurrection something so important that we need to remember it? What makes this message so vital? Well, I think the answer is found in remembering that the gospel is a promise that God saves sinners. It's a promise that Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah. That He is the one who has come to die for our sin. It's a promise that He rose again, conquering sin and death. It's a promise that God now has saved us in His only begotten Son. See, if you're a sinner in need, the gospel is a promise that there is salvation available to you. Now, to understand that a little bit better, we would do well to note a few things of what Paul says in this particular passage. 
First thing I wanted to see what Paul says is that the gospel is about the person of Christ. He says, Christ, right? See, Jesus is the Christ, the the long-awaited, long-promised Messiah. He is the son of Eve who, who crushes the head of the serpent, who overturns sin and Satan's work. He is the, also the, the son of Abraham who, who will bless the nations. He is the son of David who, who reigns in righteousness in an eternal kingdom. But, but above all, he is the son of God. The son of God who is anointed, the spirit of God, who lives a life of perfect righteousness in our stead. And the son who comes to proclaim good news to the poor. Who comes to to bind up the brokenhearted. Who comes to proclaim liberty to captives. Who comes to open the prison door. Who comes to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, the gospel is good news because it announces that the promised Messiah has arrived. And he's arrived to save people like you and me. And that leads us to the next thing we need to note. The gospel is about the problem of sin. See, it says that Christ died for our sin. Beloved, you realize that sin is the greatest problem we have. It's not politics. It's not a virus. It's not vaccines. No, it's sin. Sin robs us of joy and strength. Psalm 31.10 Sin places upon us a soul-depressing burden, Psalm 38.4. Sin brings shame and guilt, Proverbs 14.34. Sin robs us of all that is good, Jeremiah 5.24. Sin separates us from the God who is good, Isaiah 59.2. And sin ultimately leads to death, James 1.15. See, beloved, we have a sin problem. And our problem finds a solution in Christ. It finds a solution in the one who who comes and and takes our place. Notice especially that the gospel isn't good news just because Jesus is someone who died and rose again. No, it's good news because Jesus died and rose again in our place. For us, for our sin and our salvation. He died while we were sinners for us. He was sent to be the propitiation for our sin, to turn away the wrath of God from us. He became cursed on the tree so that we would not be cursed, but enjoy the blessings of God. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He bore our sin in His body on the tree. He became sin, although He knew no sin. Why? So that we would be saved from our sin so that we would be healed of our guilt and shame and grief, so that we would enjoy peace with God, so that we would become the righteousness of God, so that we would take hold of every blessing in Christ, so that we would know the love of God that surpasses all knowledge. Is that not good news? Is that not a joyful message of glad tidings that there is a Savior for your sin? It is a promise that there is a Savior to the most wretched sinner. 
But thirdly, I want you to see that the gospel is, is about the person of Christ, it's about the problem of sin, but it's also, about, it's also according to the plan of God. Twice Paul says, in accordance with the Scriptures. Now when Paul speaks of the Scriptures there, he's not just referring to one or two passages that speak about death and resurrection, and, and there are those passages. We, we could point to Psalm 16 that points us to Christ's resurrection. We could point to Psalm 22 that displays for us and points us towards Christ's crucifixion. We could point to Isaiah 53 and Zechariah 12 and other passages. But what Paul has in mind here, I believe, is that all of the Scriptures reveal the plan of salvation. All of the Scriptures point us to Christ as that Savior. I think of Jesus as he debates to the Pharisees, John 5, 39. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness to me. See, there is eternal life to be found in the Scriptures, but it's eternal life that is to be found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or consider what Paul says in, in 2 Timothy 3.15, Clinton referred to it last week. Paul speaks there of the Scriptures as the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he adds those famous words, all Scripture is breathed out by God. What's my point? It's simply this. The gospel is good news because it's something that God initiated. It's something that God planned and promised in the Old Testament and that He fulfilled in the arrival of Christ. See, our salvation, our salvation from our sin is not something that, that flows out of us and our ingenuity, our, our wisdom. That's all of His work. And that again leads me to the final thing I want you to see from what Paul says. The gospel is also about the power of God. He says that, that Christ was raised. That was raised is what theologians call a, a divine passive. It points to the fact that this is something that God does. He raises him from the dead. He does this by himself so that our salvation can truly be said to belong to the Lord. It's something powerfully worked out by God. The good news of the gospel is that salvation ultimately is of the Lord, as Jonah 2.9 says. See, the salvation of sinners is not by the plans of man or the power of man, but according to the plan and purposes and promises of God. If you are saved, if you have tasted and seen something of God's goodness in the gospel of God, it's not because of anything in you. It's grace. His mercy to save you, to plan your salvation, even before the foundations of the world. Now, why is it important to remember all of this? Because, beloved, we have a tendency to make the gospel about what we have done and what we are doing. Especially in the life of a, a busy church. It's easy to look at all that we have done. Yet what we need to remember, beloved, is that our salvation and our growth as Christians and our existence as Honey Ridge is due to the fact of what God has done. It's not a result of what we have done. It's not a result of what we are doing. No, it is all of grace. It is a result of God who has promised to save a people 
a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. See, this is good news because it is good news of what God has done in His Son. And so, beloved, behold your salvation. Behold what God has done. Remember the promise of the gospel. The second exhortation I think this passage points us towards this morning is is not just remember the, the promise of the gospel, but remember the priority of the gospel. Let's ask the question, what was that one thing that mattered most to Paul? What was that one thing that Paul wanted other people to know? What was that one thing that was the key motive beyond all that Paul did in his missionary work? Well, it's the gospel. He says that in verse 3, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. See, the most important thing for Paul was the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he says, For I did decide to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He says even in Galatians 6, 14, But, but far, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul was a man consumed with the gospel. Now let's ask ourselves that question. What is the most important thing for us? What is that one thing that motivates us that we want others to know? What is that one thing that motivates all that we say and do? Is it the gospel? If we're honest with ourselves, there is again a tendency in the church to to replace the gospel. To, to be so consumed by other pursuits and other passions, to so emphasize other things, even good things, that we miss the gospel. Let me give you a few examples, and I might be stepping on some toes, I don't know. Some Christians are so obsessed for, with, with living their best life now. Think of the, our, our prosperity gospel, friends. They're so consumed with the prosperous, blessed life. Others are, are so consumed with fighting abortion, so consumed with combating the culture and promoting good things even like homeschooling. So, some Christians are so consumed with pursuing social justice and doing good works of mercy. Some others are, are consumed with cultivating the gifts of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and being Spirit-filled. Other Christians are more consumed with exposing false teaching and, and upholding discerning ministries and upholding sound orthodoxy. I'm sure we can agree these things are good. They're important. We must oppose abortion and racism and injustice. We must do good works and pursue generosity and mercy. We must cultivate and grow in our spiritual gifts. We must expose false teaching. We must pursue well-being and peace. Yet what we must not do is replace the gospel with any of these. Let us recognize that none of these things are in and of themselves the gospel. These things are important, but they're not of first importance. There is a danger that we allow all these things to become so important that the gospel is eventually assumed and then eclipsed and sometimes even lost. 
And see, when things take center stage, when these things take center stage, when, when they become all that we talk about and all that we think about, all that we care about, the gospel is inevitably moved off center. And the result is people know us not for the gospel, but for our pet pursuits, for our hot topics, which causes us to be a people who are known for those things and not a people known for Christ and all that He has done. Have you ever met someone like this? I had a dear brother, uh, and he's fixed his ways, but for a season, all he could ever talk about was creation and, and defending the six-day creation. That's all he ever spoke about, and it was tedious. Or, or perhaps we see it today where Christians are so consumed with politics, so consumed that we have the right view of the vaccines, This is not the example that Paul sets for us. The gospel was for Paul as of first importance. This was also true of the other disciples, the other apostles in Acts 40 or 4 verse 20 when they were being persecuted. They said this, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. What were they referring to? The death and resurrection of Christ. Beloved, the question for us is, are we a people who are known for the gospel? Because the gospel is of first importance. See, let us celebrate the gospel, but let, let us celebrate it by keeping it at the center. As we pursue justice, as we care for the weak, as we raise our children in godly homes, as we oppose evil in this world, as we use our spiritual gifts, as we expose false teaching, let's do so because of the gospel. Let's do so, all these things, as fruit of the gospel because we have believed that there is a Savior and He's deserving of all of our lives. He's deserving of us giving ourselves as living sacrifices for Him. Let's do this so that people may know that we are gospel people who make much of Christ. So, so that's the second exhortation I think this morning. Remember the, the priority of the gospel. Thirdly, third exhortation this passage gives us is remember the power of the gospel. Remember the power of the gospel. In verse 1 to 2, Paul tells us why the gospel has priority. He gives us the reason why the gospel is to be of first importance. And why is it to be of first importance? Because it is in the gospel that we are saved. As Paul says in Romans 1.18, for it is the power of God unto salvation. But look particularly what Paul says in verse 1 to 2. Now I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I imagine with me, if you will, that you were lost at sea. Imagine you were lost at sea with no boat, no raft, and that's a, a terrifying thought to be sure. But, but imagine also with me that, lo and behold, a ship arrives, and it arrives to save you. The ship pulls up next to you and throws towards you one of those life boys. You know, those, those white, round donut things. I had to Google what it was called, life boy. There you go. 
and, and throws it to you, tell me, would you be saved if they just threw the life boy to you and then just left? No, you'd still be lost at sea. You wouldn't be saved. Or, or tell me, would you be saved if they threw the life boy at you and then pulled you onto the ship, but you weren't holding onto the life boy and you're still in the ocean? No, you would still not be saved. You'll still be lost. See, for you to be saved in that situation, you need to take hold of that life boy with all your energy. You need to be taken onto that ship where you'll be taken to safety. Well, that's kind of what Paul is getting at in these first two verses. For us to be saved, we need to not just receive the gospel once off, but we need to continually rest in the gospel. We need to continually hold on to the dear life in faith. Paul says three things here about the gospel. He says you must receive the gospel. He says in verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received. See, their receiving of the gospel seeks of that initial belief, that initial faith. We need to realize it's not enough to merely know things about the gospel. It's not enough to, to know that Jesus died and rose again. No, you must personally receive that message. You must personally assent to it. You must personally know that indeed Jesus is your Savior. He is your Savior who died for your sin. He is your Lord who raised, was raised for your salvation. You need to know that. You receive it by faith personally. John says this in 1 John 1, or 1 John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Beloved, there's a personal faith you have to exert. It's not enough to know good theology. But see, just like it's not enough to simply receive a life, boy, it's also not enough to just simply receive the gospel. The second thing Paul says here is that you must rest in the gospel. In verse, two, in verse 1, he says, I preach to you which you received, in which you stand. See, the gospel is something that you not only receive, but something you, you rest in, you, you stand in it, you rely upon it continually. It is, as it were, that ship upon which you stand and rest as it carries you safely and securely home. Paul says the same thing in a different metaphor in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, where he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him. What's Paul saying? He's saying, rest in the gospel. Don't move beyond it. Don't leave it behind. Rest in it. Find your hope, your joy, your salvation continually here. See, as a Christian and as a church, we must never, never move away from Christ in the gospel because it is the good news of Christ, it is in the good news of Christ that we find comfort and, and rest and, and peace. But not only must we receive the gospel and, and rest in the gospel, the third thing Paul says is that we must return to the gospel. Look at what he says in verse 2. It is the gospel by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. 
We see here that the gospel not only saved us when we believed, but the gospel is something that is continually busy saving us. And that's why we need to return to it again and again. We need to be reminded because there is often a tendency and a temptation to want to leave it behind. There's so many things that will tempt us to turn away from the gospel in Christ. So many things that will put our faith to the test. Whether it is sin and its guilt that shames us away from Christ. Whether it's the delights of this world and the distractions of this life. Whether it's the heartache and pain and fear that causes us to doubt God. All of these things challenge us and want to steer us away from Christ. And so given these challenges that that want to tempt us away, we need to commit ourselves again and again to return to the gospel. To to hold on to it again. When the life throws us curveballs, we need to turn again to Christ and the gospel. Uh, Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1, 21-23. He says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Dear church, when we are confronted by fear and anxiety that leads us to doubt and despair, when we are confronted by the delights of this world that draw us away from Christ, when we are confronted by our sin that says that we are too sinful to be saved, we need to respond by returning to the gospel. We need to respond by returning to the hope that we have, holding on to the good news in which we find our salvation. We need to return and respond by looking to what Christ has done. A full, final salvation for us in our sin. Isn't this how Paul comforts the church? In Romans 8, 31 to 32, Paul says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, Paul encourages the church, he he comforts them to to draw their attention again to the gospel. That the God who saved you has not left you. And so return to there, return to that good news. And, And so dear church, let us remember the gospel. Let us rejoice in it as the power of God and the salvation. And let us celebrate it by by receiving it, by resting in it and and returning to it again and again. We can summarize this message this morning quite simply as this. Remember the gospel. Remember the promise of the gospel that God has kept his word to save sinners. To save sinners like you and me by giving his only begotten son to die for our sin and to be raised for our justification. Remember the priority of the gospel that is this which is to have first importance. Remember the power of the gospel that it saves us as we receive it, as we rest upon it, and as we return to it. Now, one of the reasons I've, I've structured this message this particular way 
is I believe these three points address three typical responses to the gospel. The first response is, is that of denial, the unbeliever who, who simply just rejects the gospel. The second response is abuse, the, the false convert who, who thinks he's saved but not. And then thirdly, the one who forgets the gospel, the, the backslidden believer who's neglected it and whose soul is in despair. And so my question to you this morning is, is which one are you? Are you the, the unbeliever here this morning who, who has denied the gospel? You've rejected it your entire life. Well, if you are, then let me point you to the promise of the gospel. You need to know that you are a great sinner. You stand before a holy, fearful, wrathful God. You also know that He has promised a Savior. If you turn to Him, if you place your faith and trust in Him, He will save such one such as you. There is still hope for you. And so if you haven't believed, dear beloved, today is the day of salvation. Believe upon the gospel. God promises you salvation if you turn to Him. But perhaps you're a false convert this morning. Perhaps you're someone who's abused the gospel. Perhaps you're sitting here, maybe you're a youth, a young adult, and you're pretending, you're performing for everyone around you, you're trying to put up appearances. You're a false convert. If you are, let me point you to the priority of the gospel. You need to know that all your pet passions and all your pursuits cannot save you. All your pretending will not please God. You need to come to the gospel as of first importance for your soul. Playing church, playing religion won't do. You need to come to Christ who died for sinners like you. And you trust in Him. But perhaps you're a backslidden believer this morning. Who has neglected the gospel and your soul is famished. You, you're wondering if God still loves, if God still cares. If you are, let me point you to the power of the gospel. You need to know that the God that once saved you can still save you. You need to know that the God that once drew you out of darkness into His marvelous light still does that. Your soul might be in despair. You might be fearful and anxious. But you need to know that if you look again to Christ, if you trust in Him, if you turn again to Calvary, you will find a Savior who loves you still, who still draws you to Himself. A Savior who has promised that He will never cast you out. And so turn to Christ. Look to the gospel. Remember the gospel and its power. But some of you might be sitting here and asking yourself, but what if I'm not an unbeliever who's denied the gospel? What if I'm not a false convert who abuses the gospel? What if I'm not a backslidden believer who's forgotten the gospel? How should you respond? Well, beloved, by rejoicing in the gospel by rejoicing in the good news that God has saved you. Celebrate the gospel this morning and look to all that he has done. Let us celebrate the gospel in the words of A.B. Johnson who said, let's celebrate it that, that God has been reconciled. Justice has been satisfied. Sin has been atoned for. Judgment for guilt has been revoked. Condemnation for sinners canceled. That the curse of the law has been blotted out. The gates of hell has been closed. The portals of heaven opened. 
the, the power of sin subdued, the guilty conscience healed, the broken heart comforted, and the sorrow and misery of the fall overturned. Beloved, celebrate the gospel. Beloved, for the sake of our spiritual life, for the sake of the next 40 years of ministry, let us remember the gospel and let us not forget its benefits. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that wonderful good news of Christ crucified. We thank you, dear Lord, that you in your sovereign counsel, your supreme grace, have decided to, to save a people like us. We recognize, dear Lord, that none of us are worthy of this. No good works, no good effort, no religiosity, no pretending, no performing could have made us right with you. None of it could have overturned our sin. Yet, dear Lord, we thank you that you have provided a perfect substitute, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for him and his salvation. Thank you for his life given for us. And we pray, dear Lord, that in light of all of this, that we would give ourselves wholeheartedly to him, that we would indeed be living sacrifices. Because he has purchased us for himself, for you, with his precious blood. And so help us, dear Lord, as a church to celebrate the gospel. Help us to remember it. Help us to rejoice in all that you have done. And help us to so celebrate, so rejoice, that others would see how what you have done. That others would see that, that we value the gospel above all. And dear Lord, that you would see fit to even through us bring others to salvation. Oh dear Lord, work we pray for the glory and exaltation of your name, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.